Hello, everybody, and welcome to my second Monday show, as it is ever-evolving into whatever it's going to be. I was traveling last week, so I couldn't do the show last week, but I'm going to try to get these up on Mondays, and it's sort of a catch-all show, talking about some news and some other things that I want to talk about that don't quite fit into reviews or charts or whatever else I'm doing here on the channel. One thing I would like to do is build a little bit of interaction into the show. We're not live, so we can't do super chats and all those kinds of things, but if you do have a question you'd like for me to answer, why don't you put it right down there in the comment section with the hashtag AskDan. If you do that, I'll search for that hashtag and I'll pick two or three questions every week to go over. Kind of a viewer mailbag sort of thing if you have a question about something or a topic that you'd like for me to talk about. So go ahead and leave those questions down there, hashtag AskDan, and I will hopefully start answering those questions on next week's show. This week, though, we have a lot to talk about, and this first thing is really big news in the entertainment world, and it actually just broke yesterday on Sunday. Yesterday, the CEO of NBC Universal, Jeff Schell, who oversaw the movie studios, the theme parks, basically almost every aspect of the business, was let go from the studio. Actually, Comcast, who owns NBC Universal, announced that a mutual decision had been made effective immediately, which is Hollywood talk for firing, after an outside investigation confirmed what Shell himself described as an inappropriate relationship with a woman at the company. And Jeff Shell hasn't been at his job that long. He actually took over as CEO of NBC Universal in January of 2020. What a great time to take over as CEO. And we've actually talked about him right here on this channel before, way back almost when I started the channel, really, is one of the first big news stories that I covered. But when theaters were closed, Universal made the decision to put Trolls World Tour out on premium video on demand, which are those higher price rentals that you see on iTunes. And it did really well. And Jeff Shell announced that when theaters reopened, that Universal would be releasing all of their movies day and date. So basically on premium video on demand and also in movie theaters on the same day. And AMC went and said that they were not going to to book Universal films in their theaters, if that's what they were going to do. There was a big standoff between Universal and AMC, and then eventually they settled on the deal that they have in place now, which is a 17-day theatrical window for Universal films for movies that open below a certain box office threshold, and a 30-day theatrical window for films that opened above a certain box office threshold, although those windows are variable. That's the kind of thing that Jeff Shell helped to navigate as the chairman and CEO of NBC Universal, and he was an advocate of collaboration collapsing that theatrical window and led the way. So a lot of the current system that we have in place with how movies are navigating from theaters to digital to premium video on demand, etc., a lot of that comes from Jeff Shell's tenure at NBC Universal. Jeff Shell was actually, as you would imagine, a CEO being critical to the strategy in so many divisions, uh, not just the movie studio, the theme parks for Universal, which are undergoing expansion both in Florida and also in Hollywood, Peacock, their streaming service, which is, of course, battling for survival in the streaming world and their constant changes and alterations to the way that that part of the business is going. I mean, imagine somebody being in charge of all of those things and then you literally lose them overnight. Jeff Shell is just gone, and I think that that kind of speaks to the severity of what this investigation found. This was a third-party investigation, and based on the findings of that investigation, Jeff Shell exited immediately, and in addition to all the things that are currently on the plate over at 
NBC Universal. You have a couple of other big things. Of course, the summer movie season, which launches in just a couple weeks, and you have big Universal titles like the latest Fast and the Furious film that'll be hitting theaters. And there's also a big pending deal with Hulu, because by the end of the year, NBC Universal could force Disney to buy out its share of Hulu so that Disney would basically own that service pretty much outright, and that would be a huge windfall, of course, also for Comcast and NBC Universal and their negotiations around that and decision-making. So this is a big deal. I mean, I know that Jeff Shell is not a name that most people know, but the ramifications from what's happening here are going to go through a lot of the things that people are familiar with, and this is probably the biggest story going this morning in Hollywood, Monday morning, there are going to be a lot of people scrambling to figure out what to do. And of course, number one is who is the new CEO of NBC Universal going to be? And can that person handle just stepping right into the job, basically running to catch up because you don't have that usual period of transition? And when you look at the last year or so, this is the third big change we've had at the top of one of these major studios. You have Jeff Shell exiting. Of course, you had Bob Chapik being fired at Disney and replaced by former CEO Bob Iger. And then you had David Zaslav over at Warner Media after the whole Discovery merger, who's come in and made all of those changes. And you would think that right now, when the market is so unstable as far as streaming services and, and the economy of everything, you would want stability at the top. But that's not what we're getting at so many of these major studios. Instead, we're getting regime changes and kind of changing the direction of the company based on that person. Disney has dismantled divisions. Warner Brothers has dismantled divisions and completely changed the strategy of the company. I don't necessarily think that's what we're going to see here with NBC Universal because Jeff Shell leaving didn't necessarily come about because there was a strategy that was not working. It seems like that there were personal issues that necessitated his exit. So I think what we're going to see with whoever succeeds him is basically somebody who's going to stay the course, at least for right now, of where the company is going. So this is a very interesting story to track and see what's going to happen next at NBC Universal. But yeah, a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of people trying to figure out what's going to happen next at that studio today. Something that could be a welcome distraction for Universal this week is that this is also the week where CinemaCon kicks off out in Las Vegas. If you don't know what CinemaCon is, it's a celebration that is hosted by the National Association of Theater Owners, or as I call them, not that NATO. And this is basically where all the studios converge to pitch their newest movie lineups and make some big announcements to theater owners and select journalists. I say select journalists because I actually applied to cover CinemaCon as a journalist this year, but as you can see, I'm not in a Las Vegas hotel room, and that's because my request was denied. Denied! Sit down! Oh well, maybe next year. Really, the reason I'm covering it here is that this could potentially be a big week of announcements, both here on the channel and in the entertainment world. So this is a brief preview of what you might see coming out of CinemaCon this week. First of all, starting today at 6.15 Pacific Time, Sony will be presenting their upcoming slate and making some announcements. Likely some news coming out about the next Ghostbusters film, potential big Spider franchise news. We don't quite know yet. Tomorrow is a big day because starting at 8.30 a.m. Pacific time, Warner Brothers is going to make their presentation, probably some DC news, some HBO Max news, and tomorrow afternoon slash evening, they will be screening The Flash in full for convention attendees, so public service announcement. Be on the lookout tomorrow for first reactions from people at CinemaCon who saw the movie, and who knows, probably some spoilers for the movie will start making their way out after tomorrow's screening. So if you don't want to know anything about The Flash, 
slash. Now is the time to start muting those keywords on social media, etc., because it starts getting out into the public tomorrow with this CinemaCon screening. On Wednesday at 9.30 a.m., Disney will be presenting its upcoming slate alongside 20th Century Studios. They'll then be screening the upcoming horror film The Boogeyman. Then at 4 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon, Universal is going to present their slate as well as that of Focus Features. And finally, on Thursday, Paramount and Lionsgate will be presenting their upcoming slates before the festival comes to a close. CinemaCon really is the Comic-Con for theater owners. It's where they all get together. They talk about the state of the business. This allows them to sort of set their own expectations for movies that are coming out this year, next year, and then possibly in the future. And studios want to put their best foot forward because they want the theater owners to be excited to book their films in their theaters, especially if they're not part of a big chain. So this is a big deal, and I would expect at least a handful of big announcements to come out this week. So stay tuned on the movie news front because this could be a big one, and I don't want you to get caught by surprise if you weren't aware that CinemaCon is happening. One big studio that won't be at CinemaCon because their business model is pretty much the exact opposite is Netflix. And there are actually a few things that Netflix announced last week. They had a big investor call that I wanted to cover. And it is the end of an era for Netflix because they announced that starting on September 29th, they will be ending the disc shipping part of their business. Basically what Netflix became famous for initially, the last disc will be shipped on September 29th. They'll be due back a month later. I'm pretty sure I still have a disc for Alexander Skarsgård's Tarzan movie somewhere. So I guess I, I probably own that disc at this point. But I don't know, maybe I have until October to scrounge it up and send it back for a refund or something. But it is the end of an era because I was a Netflix consumer back in college, I want to say 2002, 2003, and that's what I did. I, I had so many Netflix discs sent to me through the mail, full seasons of TV. I had a whole rotation going. I'd get one disc, I'd start playing it, I'd mail the other one back. By the time I finished that other disc, I had the second disc in the thing. It used to be one disc at a time. That was a great innovation when you could get two or three discs at a time. One thing that I'm going to miss about the fact that you can't do the mail-in version of Netflix, even though I haven't done it for quite some time, is that there are a lot of movies that are not on streaming anywhere. And having them available on physical media through Netflix, for some of those movies, that's the only place they were available. You can't find them to buy. You can't find them streaming anywhere. And so there are going to be a lot of movies as physical media starts going away that just get lost. And there have been papers written on this that every time there's a new thing, VHS, Laserdisc, DVD, Blu-ray, streaming, there are a certain number of movies that get left behind. And with all of the crazy rights issues that exist right now, I think there are going to be a huge amount of movies that are left behind on the streaming front. So one more avenue is closing as far as access to particularly older films, independent films, more obscure films on physical media with Netflix shutting this down. However, it makes sense. I can't imagine they have more than a handful of customers that were still using this service. However, something that more than a handful of Netflix customers are still using is other people's passwords. And that gravy train is about to end because Netflix also announced last week that they are going to be rolling out their crackdown on shared passwords globally sometime in the second quarter, meaning sometime through April to June, after a test run in four countries that Netflix claimed yielded very successful results. Apparently, the pattern in Canada and the other countries they tried it in was that they said you can't share passwords anymore. They saw a brief dip in subscribers, and then they saw an uptick in subscribers as people who couldn't share passwords or couldn't use someone else's password signed up for Netflix. They said the subscribers are up, that revenue was up in those markets, and so they decided to 
to roll this out globally. And I really don't think there was any reality where they weren't going to do this, quite frankly. Now, if you look at the discussion online, a lot of those forums will say, well, this is the end of Netflix. Netflix is going to go bankrupt because people are going to get fed up. But the results so far have borne out the opposite. And really, when you think about it, it makes sense. Because if you're using someone else's password, then you're already not a paying Netflix customer. So by cutting off that access, really the only way they're going to lose business is if the person whose password it is gets angry and then cancels the service. And I don't think that there are going to be a a lot of people who do that. And then if you're cut off from Netflix service, there are going to be a lot of people that just say, well, screw it and don't subscribe. But that's not money that Netflix was getting anyway. And then I think you're going to get a healthy number of people who will say, all right, fine. And they'll shell out the money and get a Netflix subscription. There's also another option where you can keep using the account that you're on, but the person who owns that account basically pays an extra user fee. So if you're in college and you're on your parents' account, your parents could pay to have you added to that account and then you could continue using it, but then your parents are paying more than they already are. And I think that this was kind of inevitable. The thing that makes it funny, though, and it's really kind of seeing the change in business strategy in real time, is that this is the same Netflix that six years ago tweeted out, love is sharing a password. Now they're literally banning that same password sharing. But you have to keep in mind, that was the loosey-goosey heyday Netflix of 2017. That was the Netflix that said, oh, Baz Luhrmann wants to make an 11-episode musical set in the Bronx in the 1970s, here's 120 million. And while you're at it, throw 100 million dollars at that Will Smith Orc Cop movie. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think that Netflix was recklessly arrogant in their spending. I think that they thought that they had infinite market share to take up, that they would never stop growing, that nobody could ever compete with them as big as they are. And now they found out that they have to work hard to compete with everybody else because they're no longer the unbeatable behemoth. And that's not really shocking. I mean, the story of the tortoise and the hare didn't stick around for two millennia because it wasn't applicable to real life. Netflix thought they were invincible. They're not invincible. And now they have to tighten the belt and find that money in places where they didn't have to look before. And actually, the weirdest thing to me about all of this is that with Netflix doing things like the whole password sharing thing and scaling back investment and original programming, they still refuse to take a bunch of money that I think they're leaving on the table. And that's because on the earnings call last week, Ted Sarandos ruled out wider releases for Netflix original films, saying, quote, driving folks to a theater is just not our business. Having big, new, desirable content drives value for our members and drives value for our business. There are no major changes in play. And I just think that that's completely wrong-headed. I think he's being a little stubborn here and basically saying like, well, no, we're streamers and we stream. But you look at Disney Plus, for example, their library content is immensely successful on that service. And then you look at a movie like Glass Onion. Netflix put Glass Onion out in theaters last Thanksgiving weekend in under 700 theaters. It was right around 700. And it still came in third place for the Thanksgiving weekend. It had the highest per theater average of any movie that week. It only played for a week, made about $15 million. But I think that if Netflix had put it on a wider release, put it in 1,500 or 2,000 theaters, I think it easily could have pulled in $100 million. Let's say you leave it in theaters for three weeks. You can still have a week gap before you put it on the streaming service as you planned on December 23rd. And yes, if you leave it in theaters longer or if you put it in more theaters, you will cut down on some of that watch time on Netflix. I'm sure there will be some first-time viewers that 
that don't watch it on your service. But that just means basically that you're still the exclusive home of a movie that they saw in theaters and hopefully liked in theaters. You're going to have the audience that would never have gone to see it in the theater and is happy to watch it on Netflix as the people did this past year with Glass Onion already. I think worst case scenario, you're only driving away a small number of theater goers and keeping everybody else who would have watched it on Netflix anyway. The downside there just doesn't seem to be that bad, whereas the upside is being able to bring in more money against the $200 million investment that Netflix made in getting both of these movies from Ryan Johnson. Are they keeping enough Netflix subscribers just through that $200 million Knives Out deal to justify spending that money? I'm not so sure that they are, and why not give the hybrid theatrical model a bigger swing? I guess the part that's sort of weird to me is to see Netflix leaving what I think is some money on the table by not going wider with their theatrical releases, but also doing all of these cost-cutting measures, including this password crackdown, especially when I think that there are some ways that the service could also cut down on expenses. Maybe you don't have to go after the kids that are using their parents' passwords in their dorm rooms. For example, you could cut down costs a lot by, you know, not sending things like this. This was a, it's a beautiful Power of the Dog poster that came as part of the FYC uh, award season stuff uh, just a couple years ago. Or, you know, things like this. Uh, this is a, a beautiful Pinocchio framed uh, poster uh, that we got this past award season. Or, you know, it really, if you just want to cut down on things like these, I mean, you know, I get it. A marriage story. We have two books, one from each of the characters' points of view. That That's great with that. But, you know, when you're looking at the production costs, if you're Netflix and how much these things cost to uh, Irishman here, uh, cost to do. Awards season really is a place where your expenditures could really go down because, you know, I mean, these are these are not cheap books. As I'm sorry, I hit the microphone, I have to move my computer there. I mean, these books aren't cheap. And I mean, when you have movies like Mitchell's versus the Machines, which of course was a big Oscar hopeful, um, you know, you have movies like uh, uh, Klaus, which Netflix really wanted to do. I mean, when you think about all of the different expenses that go into this, uh, binding and printing, etc and you know you never know i mean of course you do want to get the hype up for uh you know different things and uh you know you want to make sure that the critics are aware of what your uh different films are and uh what is uh, usually acceptable for uh, uh, awards consideration etc and you want to make sure sorry you want to make sure that you know that uh, people uh know what's going on from day to day or week to week and of course you know the behind the scenes information that goes into the making of your movies. It's good, it's just me being silly. I guess the overall point I'm trying to make here is that uh, Netflix definitely is able to splash out on things like these books, which are sent to hundreds if not thousands of critics. So if you're gonna cut costs for some people, Netflix, as a critic who gets these things, I wouldn't mind if you cut a few here because these are just the ones I decided to keep. There's a lot more to get into, but before we do, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, Babbel. I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually getting married later this year, and Mara and I are already talking honeymoon destinations. Communication is key to fully experiencing a new culture, and that's where Babbel comes in. It's a language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. Thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons, there's still time to learn a new language before you reach your destination. I proactively started going back over my Spanish lessons, and it's like riding a bike. Babbel makes it so easy, it's almost like I never stopped 
studying. Their expertly crafted lessons are built around real life so you can learn how to have practical conversations. And unlike other language learning apps that use AI for their lesson plans, Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, plus their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel, and right now you can get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash Dan. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Dan for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. All right, let's do a few quick hits before we wrap out of here. First of all, let's take a trip somewhere. It's a new feature here on the show. We're going to the franchise graveyard to see what old franchises are being dug up by the studios this week. First of all, it's one that we talked about on the first edition of the show a couple weeks ago, which is Harry Potter. It has been officially confirmed that there will be an HBO Max, or I guess by that time, a Max series based on the Harry Potter books. Every book is going to get its own season. The show will be completely recast, which means no holdover cast members from the movies. New Snape, new Dumbledore, new Harry, Ron, Hermione, everybody else. J.K. Rowling is on board as a producer. That's making a lot of people happy and also a lot of people unhappy. So the conversation around this show is just already great. I still don't get this. I understand that there is a dedicated group of people that don't feel like the Harry Potter books were given justice, but I don't know if it's enough to really justify the investment in this. But I also believe with all of my heart that David Zosloff and the Warner Discovery execs are creatively bankrupt and extraordinarily risk averse. So I guess this shouldn't be such a big surprise. Maybe 10 years down the line when they finish making these books again, I'll be a 50-year-old man sitting here talking about how much better this version was, but this 40-year-old man is sitting here saying, I don't really understand this move, but it's happening. Also happening in some form is a revival of the Twilight series. Now, we don't yet know what form this TV series is going to take. There are very few details. It could be new adventures. It could be spinoff adventures. Or they could do what the last two Twilight movies did, which is to just copy what Harry Potter is doing and do TV seasons based on each Twilight book. Now, I've never read the Twilight books. I've heard that there is some stuff that's lost in the movies. But even more so than Harry Potter, didn't we really say all we needed to say in the Twilight series with those five Twilight movies. I mean, how much could possibly have been left out? However, it's a brand name. It's easy money as far as Lionsgate is concerned. So we're going to be seeing apparently a Twilight series, or at least one is being actively discussed. And then Galaxy Quest. This one gets kicked around all the time, but apparently Paramount Plus is looking to make a Galaxy Quest TV series again. There was a version with Paul Shear that was being talked about, I think, way back when we did the Galaxy Quest documentary uh, with fandom and screen junkies they were going to make a TV show that never came to fruition. They're going to try to revisit that idea again. I mean, they just got Star Trek right, or at least Star Trek Picard on their third try. So maybe they can get Galaxy Quest right on the first try over at Paramount+. Plus. But again, unless you have the original cast, and you can't have the entire original cast, because you're not going to have, sadly, Alan Rickman, I just don't know what you can do with the concept. It's already a parody of Star Trek. This isn't really me saying like, I don't think they can do something with this idea, but I just think it needs to be something clever. I know it was only one movie almost 25 years ago, but it was a really smart movie and a really well-made fun movie. And it's a very thin line between 
parodying something and then just becoming the thing that you are parodying. So Harry Potter, Twilight, Galaxy Quest, very possible that we're going to be seeing a lot more from all three of those franchises in the future. Well, we've talked a lot on this episode about the stupid things that studios are doing from not allowing films to play in theaters to running old franchises into the ground. But I want to add a little bit of positivity and recognize when something smart is actually produced from the Hollywood system. So I want to talk about a new feature on the show called An Actual Good Decision. And it's something I read this week that's, well, an actual good decision. And this one goes to Amazon Prime, who introduced a new feature called Dialogue Booster. Dialogue Booster is currently available on select Amazon originals and it uses AI to find points in the audio where the dialogue may be a little bit more difficult to hear. The AI isolates that dialogue and then brings it up to the level of the music and sound effects. This isn't basically what some people do, which is to just boost like the center channel audio. This is actually an algorithm that finds human speech and just selects that and brings it up so that you don't have to ride the volume up and down on your remote. Now, some people might say that an even better solution to this problem would be for studios and TV networks to mix their shows so that the dialogue and the music are at the same level. But as long as Christopher Nolan's working in this industry, that's not going to happen. So I think that this is the best solution that we have right now. And I applaud Amazon. It's about time they use those billions to actually do something good and not technology that watches for when their truck drivers are going to pee and make sure that they don't do that. This is good Amazon. Good Amazon. There's good Amazon and bad Amazon, this is good Amazon. And I hope that other people figure out a way to do this as well, because I know I'm certainly sick and tired of riding that volume up and down because apparently people think that explosions should be twice as loud as the dialogue that precedes them. Although honestly, in some movies, they're kind of right. Thing about street fights, the street always wins. That wraps up the news section of the show. Before we go, though, I am also bringing over another feature from Charts with Dan, which is a tribute section where we basically take a look at a figure in entertainment, television, movies, etc., who's made a big impact and pay tribute to their legacy. I'm not able to include every name, but I like to recognize some people, some of them you know, some of them you don't know. And there's a very special person that I wanted to spotlight this week, although this is definitely a person that 99.99% of you watching this show definitely do not know. This week I'm highlighting... Bobby Tucker. Bobby Tucker was my great uncle, and you've heard me talk about him on this channel a couple times before. I have an, a great uncle. We're going to see him on Sunday. He's in his 80s. He just subscribed to the he's, channel. He just subscribed to the channel. My mom was talking about the channel, and he's like, well, where do I go? And he went on his tablet, and he, he, he squished the subscribe button. Hi, Uncle Bobby. I don't know if you're watching, but thank you for being a subscriber. I appreciate it. <laughs> At number four is Secondhand Lions, starring Michael Caine, Robert Duvall, and Haley Joel Osment, a movie you might not have heard of unless you are my great Uncle Bobby. This is his favorite movie of all time. So congratulations, Uncle Bobby. Secondhand Lions has its day in the sun. Everybody has a different relationship with their family, and um, I've been very lucky with mine. I have a very, very close family. We're a small family, and because we are such a close family, uh, labels never really meant a lot. So, you know, genetically... Um, Uncle Bobby was my great uncle, but really he and my great aunt are, and ha always have been a third set of grandparents to me. And I also said that most of you don't know Uncle Bobby because, you know, he lived in a very small town in Arkansas for his entire life. He wasn't involved in movies and television, uh, but my family has had a very profound influence on my life. So really in a way, because you know me 
through this channel, then you know many members of my family. Uncle Bobby was um, a teacher, as so many people in my family are. For some reason, genetically, my family is drawn to teaching, whether you're linked to me by blood or married into the family. And maybe that's why I like coming on the internet and explaining things to people, because I enjoy sharing this and, and, and learning things from other people. He was a farmer. He raised plants uh, for years at the greenhouses that he built behind his house. But he and my aunt, in their own way, also influenced my love of movies. For example, you may have heard me reference this movie on the channel many times before. Every Christmas, I talk about Santa Claus the Movie, which is, if you haven't seen it, is one of the weirdest movies ever made. Um, the reason that I love this movie is because when I would go down to their house, they didn't have cable. They had two channels, three on a good day. And so I would watch Santa Claus the movie on repeat at their house, but I would also watch other movies that they would have waiting for me or that I would bring. And so a lot of times my summers there, my visits there would become movie time. And so that had its own influence on me. And my uncle was just a wonderful, loving, caring, sweet man. And um, we lost him after a brief illness about a week and a half ago. Um, everybody had their chance to say their goodbyes and, and we're all going to gather soon um, for a service. But the reason I'm stopping to say something here is that, uh, you know, like I said, I think it's important to understand that people can leave so many different kinds of legacies. And you really, in many ways, are in charge of the own legacy that you leave. And uh, my uncle Bobby has left a legacy of just so much love and compassion and caring, and it's things that will live on through me and his kids and his grandkids and so many people that he knew and loved throughout his life. And that is, I think, what everyone should aspire to, to leave that kind of legacy behind. You can grow up in the smallest town in Arkansas and still leave behind a legacy for generations that will reverberate in ways that you could never even imagine uh, just by being a kind good person. So thank you for giving me a few minutes here to talk about my uncle. Um, I, I loved him very much. I love my aunt very much. I'll be seeing her uh, very soon. We've been making trips back and forth. And um, this has affected the programming on the channel a little bit. So also thank you for your patience as I've kind of had to dip in and out. Um, I'll be firing up Secondhand Lions very soon. Thank you everyone so much for tuning into the show this week. I'll be back later this week with box office, streaming charts, uh, CinemaCon news, you name it. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.